Welcome to Contesting Wrestling Minisode 1. We record the main episodes pretty far in advance, and we decided to start doing these little sort of 20-ish minute mini episodes that we record the week that we put out any given episode so we can respond to fans in somewhat real time so we can give our thoughts about the episode correct anything that we got wrong uh mention anything that we missed and uh so yeah thank you for listening welcome to contesting wrestling my name is evan burke so if it's been long enough listen to the mini-sode first before you complain about something that we got wrong yes. yeah because we might have addressed it uh, if uh, we address it in the mini-sode and you still complain about it we will ignore you yeah, that is that's really the big takeaway here is what uh, there's all of the information that we'll go over in this and then that's it and then we're done and we don't need to hear anything else about it's it. It's like when I tell my students, look at the syllabus first before you ask me some shit that I already told you in the fucking syllabus because it's the guide to the class. That is what Professor Abelson would like to say to his class. But he can say to you, the wrestling fan, <laughs> some of whom might be my students, <laughs> read the syllabus, guys. Just yeah, read the fucking syllabus. In read general, whatever syllabus. you're doing. We are revisiting our first two episodes. Uh. Brett Austin, Doink Lawler, and their buds. Brett Owen. The wonderful minis, Brett yes. Owen, and as I titled it in the YouTube post, The Big Dog Fumbles Undertaker's Torch. Mm. That's very descriptive. Yeah, it is. I was proud of myself. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm still polished. proud of myself. Yeah. So in Brett Owen, I got a little hung up on how it's still very similar to sports and how it's still, you know, sort of reminded me a bit too much of like this team has the ball. Now this team has the ball, et cetera. Now that I've watched some more wrestling, I would like to go full galaxy brain on this take and say it's not that wrestling is too much like sports. But it's really that I'm conditioned to be bored by sports because sports are not enough like wrestling. All of this business, like this. all of this business of, oh, let's see who can throw the thing the farthest. Oh, let's see who's objectively the best by like numbers or whatever. Who cares? Okay, it's a big who cares all over all, all football, basketball, lifting, all this. I don't need to know about any sort of objective truth. I want a good story, okay? So, like, I don't care how far you throw the discus in Olympic discus throwing, okay? I care who are you throwing the discus at and why is it your father? <laughs> Interestingly, your yeah. attitude towards wrestling, I think, is most people's attitudes toward politics. They don't yeah. actually care who has... You know, like who can do the better job? They want the story. They want the. Uh, I'd like drama to throw a it. discus oh, yeah. at several politicians. <laughs> that sounds like a grand old time. That would be satisfying. And then if we had some sort of a scoring rubric and yeah. we'd be able to see who's the best at that, that's a situation where I'd be comfortable figuring out who's the best at X thing. Now it's interesting that 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 you say that. You know, the the thing about sports, you know, uh, stories in sports. You know, the, the wide world of sports nailed it with the great poetic line, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And if you can tell a story primarily using the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, you don't need anything 
past like a sports lexicon. But if all the story you have is team A scored 10 points and team B scored three points, it's not very interesting if nobody cares about any of the players. So I was always completely for football teams throwing celebratory dances in the end zone. Great. That makes you like or hate them and therefore care as opposed to no, 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 don't don't show any emotion. You're just doing the thing that you've dreamt of doing your entire life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. go emote. It's cool. It's funny how many football players and other athletes imitate wrestlers celebratory poses and things like that when they win their actual games like doing the john cena you can't see me and stuff like that well and people have sports fans have tried to explain to me in the past like oh there are sort of storylines and there are heroes and villains and you're supposed to hate tom brady or whatever but like it just does it doesn't really seem like that it's an actual story it's like sort of a vaguely constructed media narrative but right. it's not like a real fuck it's nothing you can sink your fucking teeth into and if in ufc they do their best to make them out to be wrestling rivalries and sometimes it works uh but not that often it, it drives me crazy i don't watch a lot of mma but like you i'll watch a ufc show and like uh, there'll be a fight and it'll be a good fight and somebody will win and they'll immediately do an interview, and Joe Rogan, all full of charisma, runs over and is like, hey, you just beat this guy to a pulp. Who do you want to fight next? And then the guy will be like, I don't know. I'm just happy to fight. UFC wants to send me a fight. And UFC wants them to be like, I want this guy. And then they're going to give it to him, or they're not, and there can be a story on that. Challenge the champion, even if you're ranked number 45. That's a great story. Just go for it. You're not going to get the fight, but people are going to talk about it. But they just got really punched in the face a whole bunch of times. Like, I don't know. I, I, I can't. You can't be that charismatic after that. Yeah, I got to say, like, <laughs> I, I have been going to the gym regularly for the first time in my life. And I've been seeing a personal trainer and half an hour into the workout. If he asked me a question like I can't form fucking words or concepts. And obviously these guys are in better shape than I am. But they're also doing a lot more. A, a much. It's a lot yeah, more yeah. of a workout punching and receiving punches. So uh, one thing I wanted to say about the first episode, uh, one of the first things that I say, I realized I kind of put in um, wrestling parlance. I used the um, uh, the uh, verna- vernacular uh, that we usually use to talk about pro wrestling, which might have been a little uh, off-putting to someone who's new to wrestling. So I used the words work and shoot. And I think from the context, most people will probably figure out what, what, what I was on to. But usually when we talk about something being worked, that means that it was planned, that it would be that way, that it's a contrivance of some sort, uh, that you know it's, it's part of the story. Whereas a shoot is supposed to be real. It's supposed to be when something that is unscripted, that wasn't supposed to happen, uh, or that is a real fight, somehow breaks out uh, on the show. So just clearing that up for people. I think uh, in a later episode we also define it. But now, and just to be clear, there is so there is such a thing as a worked shoot, right? right. When it's supposed to have the appearance of being a shoot, which I guess was what wrestling was supposed to be to begin with. But now that everybody knows that wrestling is predetermined, they still try to get you to think, well, this thing, maybe this thing that happened was real. And that's, that's a work shoot. Going into the whole work shoot thing is mostly just people overthinking wrestling and in, in general, like you said, everything's supposed to be a work shoot. What are you working unless it's a shoot? Right? Are you, are you working to make sure people know it's fake? 
No, no. You want people to either believe or at least accept. What Some you're of doing. like the comedic postmodern stuff where they sort of draw attention to the contrivance of wrestling. Maybe in those cases, the work is a is they're working to work. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, there is some pretty contrived stuff in modern wrestling. I mean, I love it. You know, it all depends on what your audience is conditioned to and what they'll accept. Is a shot work just like if you fuck up? <laughs> kind of like where something that was supposed to be pre-planned that actually winds up being uh, real. Like when Hulk Hogan burned his eyebrows off instead of throwing the fireball at the Ultimate Warrior. I think. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there would be possibly something. That's supposed to be a work or or no, that's supposed to be a shoot, but somehow is really a work. I guess maybe. Or, if no, I, or, yeah. You know, know what? You know what? You know what falls under that category? Vince McMahon's life. Yeah. Right. Because I think that he's like supposed to be just like he's supposed to be a person in the way that we're all supposed to be people in the world living their life. But Vince, I am sure is so deep inside of the the fantasy character. Yeah, no, so here's what a shoot work is. A shoot okay. work is when people are really fighting, but it looks so cool that you think they predetermined it. You think they choreographed <laughs> it. Okay, all right, I see that. Well, that's like, a shoot, a shot work. I'm glad we came to that conclusion. One other thing I wanted to point out, our listener and uh, a good friend of mine raised the question about the story that we were telling about the change in pitch and style in the WWF in 97 and how we said that, you know, Hart Austin at WrestleMania 13 was really the turning point. And he pointed out that WWF had already been experimenting with this more hardcore style going back even to late 1995 and the match between Bret Hart and Diesel at Survivor Series 95. And that's definitely right. And then even more so in September of 1996, Shawn Michaels and Mankind had this match at In Your House Mind Games that was also rather hardcore for the time. Our listener quoted Alex Marvez, a notable wrestling commentator from um, May 5th, 1996, saying the WWF has long prided itself on being family entertainment, but now runs a disclaimer that Raw is intended for mature audiences only. Such a direction indicates the WWF has taken the lead of Extreme Championship Wrestling, a Philadelphia-based group that prides itself on being politically incorrect and damn proud of it. And I think that this is right, and I don't think we were trying to say that Austin and Brett was the very beginning of this, but rather when it became the status quo, when it became the general style of the company. And yeah, it was starting in uh, late 95. I think what this does problematize is the idea that the shift in tone was directly a result of uh, directly a reaction to the NWO and to the WCW overtaking WWF in the ratings. Uh, that doesn't seem to be quite right because they were starting to do it long before the NWO and long before WCW was beating in the beating them in the ratings. However, I do think it might have still been largely a response to uh, WCW. WCW had already hired Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger away from the WWF by late 1995. And even if they weren't already emerging as defeating WWF in the ratings or anything like that, they were starting to look like a threat. And um, I think Vince might have seen the writing on the wall already and was already trying to do something about that. Let's also not forget that an important part 
of being a fan of something and being part of the fandom is to constantly make broad, sweeping, grand statements about the nature of the thing and when certain things happened and the turning points, uh, when in fact it almost always is a lot more gradual and, and, and nuanced than that. Right, but I mean, why it, give up the fun of making those big statements? If you want to talk about ECW, the biggest problem with giving them so much credit is that they were a small promotion. Like they, Their creative peak was way before their commercial peak, and not a lot of people, in hindsight, were watching them in 94 and 95 when they were putting on you know, cutting-edge stories and stuff that was really in tune with the culture. The people that were watching them eventually ha- got that to influence the bigger leagues, but it's not like Vince McMahon was watching ECW at 3 in the morning if it was on in the space that would otherwise be taken up by an infomercial. No, Vince Russo was, and he was complaining about it on a radio show on Long Island. And it's, yeah, so I would give the credit, like Ben said, to change the status quo to Bretton Austin, because that's when that became the line that everybody had to hold itself up to, not just what was happening in the underground. So thank you, our listener, for your comment. I want to apologize. I don't know if you remember this or you know exactly what happened when we were in elementary school, but I am sorry that I screwed you out of an autographed picture of Brett the Hitman Hart. I feel like you told me this story like 10 years ago, because this guy is also a cousin of a good friend of ours, Yes, he's right? a yes. cousin of the drummer on our theme song, Oh yes, which was oh, yeah. our band. Uh, we've never actually said this before, but if you are wondering, uh, the theme song is by Godox, which is mine and Ben's old band. Uh, the track is called The Ontological Argument for the Existence of Godox. Ben sings, I play bass. Um, and then big hey, ups. Godox was cool, man. I, I I wasn't in the band. I just sat there. <laughs> it was a good place to be. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. We were yeah. we were short lived, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a great last. time. That was the point, I think. Um, but yeah, too many other people so, in the band were real musicians who wanted to go and right. have careers as musicians. Um, should I tell that story? Uh, you don't have to tell that whole story. No, no, it seems like to. yeah, yeah. Well, we gotta say we save that for the premium episodes, dude. We gotta <laughs> yeah. direct people to the Patreon. Um, yeah. you, know, you, you should see. I, Jake hope, I the... hope we don't lose a <laughs> listener because of this, because I really don't know if he remembers or how he'll feel about it. But we'll yeah, see. That's why you shouldn't tell the whole story. Uh, I wanted to point out when we first started recording these episodes, we'd start off with uh, Doc just telling this story about wrestling history and little bits of it, I think remain on some of the episodes episode two started kind of mid story so that you might not have known what the hell he was talking about at all. Um, Doc is referring to the gold dust trio, uh, the group of Ed Strangler, Lewis, uh, Billy Sandow and Toots Mont who were largely responsible for wrestling in the form that we currently know it. They came up with a lot of the early finishes and basically decided to work wrestling the way that it is worked. Uh, Just to clarify, there was plenty of worked wrestling before these three, but they're the ones that learned how to, uh, uh, rather not learned how to, they're the ones that started establishing how to promote it the way it's promoted now um, with, you know, a major, like the champion, and the finishes, and uh, yeah, and and Ed Lewis could actually beat just about anybody, so he was an ideal champion because he could lose, 
and be sure to take the title back. The last thing I want to say is I was talking about the archetypal wrestling moves, and I mentioned drop kicks as sort of the archetypal high-flying move, but I didn't really talk about exactly the meaning. So whereas a pile driver kind of says... Uh, it, whereas a pile driver says that, you know, I don't care about my opponent's welfare. I'm willing to cripple them or even kill them in order to win the match. The drop kick, like other high flying moves, uh, says that you don't care about your own welfare. You're willing to hurt yourself by flinging yourself at your opponent in order to possibly hurt them more so that you can win. And then when you start going up on the ropes and stuff like that, it just brings it to another level. I enjoy the idea of somebody being that committed to vengeance where they're just like, I will obliterate myself and my own life. The John wick of wrestling moves. Absolutely. As somebody who I have unironically sworn seven generation vengeance oaths on people. I have mm. at least one active vengeance oath right now going where I plan on teaching my children to hate this person and their children. It's a part of, who I am, mm. and um, also it's fun. It's fun to, uh, <laughs> you know, have vengeance. Uh, and you should try it at home. Uh, if there's somebody who's wronged you, get vengeance on them. It's great. I think that that's something we can all get behind. Uh, I just want to say we launched this week, and uh, I was really touched by how many people are listening to this and how many people are following us on social media and expressing that they enjoy the podcast and it's really great. We worked on this for a while before we put these episodes out and we really didn't know how it was going to go. And, um, I just, it's been wonderful hearing people's responses. Yeah. I've, I've gotten messages from people in and out of wrestling. Uh, everything has been positive so far. Uh, we do want as much feedback as we can get. Tell us what you like and what you don't. You know, we're, we're trying to make this better all the time. We do work very hard on it. And, uh, yeah, I was really excited that we launched this week after recording a bunch of episodes over the last few months and that the response has been good. So hopefully the response will continue to go up and uh, we will continue to push it. And um, I'm looking forward to it. We love you all. We really do. Yeah. And and seriously, find us on find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram and tell us what you think and tell us what we got wrong and tell us what you would like to hear us cover Tell us what you think I would love or hate. Tell us what you think Ben and Doc are ignoring or what we're covering too much, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Tell um, us everything. No holds barred. No holds barred. Uh, um, man, you're, you're going to have yeah. to work that in more often. The only thing you should come <laughs> down on harder than us is that like and subscribe button. Yeah, uh, that wasn't that wasn't good. What what he's saying is, please give us your social media love. It helps spread it around. You yeah, know, uh, don't share our stuff so that other people can listen to it. And if you're watching on YouTube, you know, like and subscribe and all of that good stuff. Yeah, if you really like us, join the Patreon and you get bonus episodes every week. This has been our first mini episode, and we love you. This has been contesting wrestling.